I'm Tanja K. Johnson, and this is Voices of Color, a writing podcast. Episode 7, World Building. Hello, this is Voices of Color, a writing podcast, and in today's episode, we will be discussing world building. No story is complete without the proper world building. It doesn't matter what genre you're writing. If you can't set the scene, your story isn't going to matter to your readers. I'm Tanja K. Johnson. I'm Alexander Christian, author of the By the Hand of Dragon series. I'm Sylvester Barzi, author of the Planet Dead series. What do you consider world building and what elements of world building do you use? I consider world building creating the entire setting that has made the story possible. When I begin world building, I usually start with three elements. That is uh, the government, the financial situation, and the religion. Uh, Typically, those three things have the greatest influence on the greatest amount of people and are most uh, potent when it comes to shaping a, a community. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I tend to put elements into my world building that pertain to the story. So not every story I write is super heavy on government or heavy on religion. So I won't spend as much time worrying about those aspects because they don't really pertain to the story. But in my current project, it has a lot of religion, a lot of government, and those aspects really shape the world. So when I'm working on those parts, I ask myself, what pieces of these elements of world building really affect the characters? Like, how can I bring a character out of this element of world building and make them shine? I totally understand that. If you have a story set in 2005 that takes place in Philadelphia, it's going to be completely different just because of the government and religious nature than that same story if it takes place in Iran. You know what I mean? Where uh, religion kind of dictates law. See, I'm, I'm just really diving into <laughs> world building now. So I'm just going to be asking a lot of questions. So uh, do you guys think that world building is something that is necessary for any novel and genre? Or is it more prone towards like the epic fantasies? I definitely think it's for every genre, every book, you have to consider the world that you're building. It's not going to always be on the same scale, but it's always just as important. Like say I'm writing a book set in the South in the 1960s. That world is very different than the world of today. You're going to have to pick on key elements from the past that really bring that to life. Okay. Um, that brings me to what uh, what you consider world building then. So, for example, if I'm doing this whole story about this couple who meet at the airport and they're going to be together for six hours during their layover and they have an entire relationship in that time, would world building just be everything that they encounter within the airport? Would that be the entire world? You're going to have to do a lot of research on airports, the security systems. That whole world, every aspect of writing contains a world, and you have to know that and research it really well and make it developed. Uh, Then I totally agree. 
Yeah. I'm learning so much. <laughs> That's what we're here for. How do you guys do your world building? Where do you start? I generally start with, like I said before, the character. That's pretty much the first thing I always come up with for my stories, the the character. And then I think about the struggles that I want this character to go through and how I can make the world make that happen, make these things come into fruition. Also, I want to give them obstacles and villains, and it, it comes out of the world building. Everything pretty much is born in the world. Uh, absolutely agree. I typically, I typically work from themes. So if this character is a hero versus a reluctant hero, that tells me a lot about who they are. And then I basically choose a world. Like, do I want to, is this a setting that takes place in Portland, Oregon, or is this, you know, on Zendak 34? Once I have those two elements, then it's a matter of what kind of world would create the situation that this story is. Because uh, for me, typically, stories are just, they're the culmination of the world just being itself. If, if there's a king, then there's going to be wars. That's just how power works. I guess um, for my current series, it's, it's based in the future, but it's not too far off in the future. So I don't have, I have world building aspects, but I don't have to dive too deep into it because it's only like a year or two from now. So the most my world building goes about is like people falling into tribal mentalities, how the landscape has changed, the weather, things like that. But I know for like my YA fantasy, I'm diving deeper because I'm creating a whole new world. So I, I do have to create like a government for the wizards and, and like a council for the vampires and all this other stuff. I'm taking notes. That gives me a sad question to ask you guys. So where do you do most of your research for your world building? Do you read? Do you go online and Google everything? Do you ask people? Do interviews? How do you get your information? Wikipedia. <laughs> That's good. I don't do all that. I go to YouTube. And I watch a lot of videos. <laughs> YouTube is amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more of, I can like retain it more if you're telling it to me or something. So like for, okay, for like my short story that I'm writing, like I did all my Bluebeard research through YouTube and I did all my old Hollywood research through YouTube. So I did all that. Uh, it usually comes to me in, uh, in fits and starts. Like, I'll have an idea that's like, I want to have a chariot race. So then I, um, I, I researched chariots, the different types of chariots, when they were invented, the different types of wheels. What is the horse team called that pulls a chariot? And that uh, kind of sends me down the rabbit hole. It, it usually just starts with uh, something I want to do and then uh, wanting to do it well. Yeah, doing research can definitely lead you down down a dark path on the on the interwebs let's take a short break and sylvester will tell us about his book my story or my series is called planet dead um it's a it's got two books out right now we have planet dead one and we have planet dead two patient zero and the main aspect of planet dead 
or the main character of Planet Dead is Catherine Briggs. And Catherine Briggs is a ex-army lieutenant who has turned into an attorney living in Georgia. And when the outbreak happened, she separated from her family. They believe she's dead. And the whole the whole quest is about her traveling from Atlanta down to Savannah to find her son and her husband. And she just comes across a whole lot of bad situations along the way. I would curse because there's a lot of cursing in my book, but I'm, I'm not going to do that here. But, you know, you can get Planet Dead from Amazon or off my website, SylvesterFarzy.com. And I'm working on Planet Dead 3. Hopefully, I'll be able to release it in February. That's the plan. Great. Thank you. Thank you. I have a question. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, uh, are we doing like a post-apocalyptic war thing? Or um, is it just the zombies? And if we're doing the zombies, are they, are they the slow zombies or the fast zombies? Uh, well... I don't, my zombies are, I don't really follow just the slow, fast aspect in my head. I feel like anyone that's infected or anyone that is infected at the start, they all start off as fast zombies and because they'll be able to use the full extent of their body and their muscles until something happens. Like they'll be able to run full sprint until they tear a muscle, then they'll become slow zombies. But as far as, the overall villains and stuff of the story. The zombies are a big menace, but it's more of society and people who are taking advantage of the fact that the world has fallen apart. That sounds like something I can get into. All right. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. All right, so Christian, you have a bad writing tip for us today? I do. And uh, <laughs> as usual, I expect it to be controversial. Oh, so, I'm so excited for this. <laughs> a bad writing advice I was given on world building was uh, base your world on a real place. Mm. I think this is a terrible idea for anything other than a very beginner rudimentary artist what it does is it limits you it limits your creativity you start focusing on what is instead of what could be and it limits how you build your world if you're going to base your world on seattle if if you want to uh, use the buildings or the skyline or the weather or whatever that's that's a very good starting point but everything around seattle has contributed to seattle being what it is so if you're in a world where everything outside of that city is different, then that world would have elements of those differences in there. So um, basing your place on a real place, I find limits you more than it structures you. Okay. Hmm. So, so do we get to challenge this again? Sure. <laughs> My wife says I'm very confrontational. <laughs> um, My wife just calls me I, stubborn. <laughs> I totally understand what you're talking about, but I feel like that rule is only really put there to reel or reel writers back in. 
because world building is a process that you can get easily lost into. So if you're, let's say you're doing an urban fantasy and it might not be a real city in America, but why rebuild or the wheel if it's going to be like New York City? Just kind of think of it like New York City and just take the elements that you need from it. But it is based on New York City, but it's called like, I don't know, Pigeon Harbor. I don't know what you want to call it. But I, I just feel like it just helps you from drifting off and creating this whole background and weather system and government and all this stuff that you don't potentially need. Like in Twilight, I think Twilight was loosely based on Washington and Vampire Diaries is in Virginia, but it's a fictional town in Virginia. So just things like that. I I don't I don't think you should one hundred percent if you're gonna do like this whole fantasy and you want to show the world your creativity, then yeah, don't just be like, oh, this is Chicago. Because yeah, that would limit you a little bit. <laughs> I, I uh, absolutely agree. Uh, when I give the bad advice, I, I try to follow up with what I think would be a better wording, phrasing, or presentation of said advice. And I would go with base your world on the theme. If if you take a if you take a movie like uh, the Mockingjay, you know um, there's a singular theme that kind of dictates everything else that has to be. So if you want to make a New York like city, uh, and you look at okay, so it's it's old, it's overpopulated, it's the center of commerce. It, you know you can do anything there, you can get anything there. That theme will get you there. If you want to go with you know, love, right? So this is a city for lovers. So it's uh, beautiful and it's spacious and it has lots of parks. So yeah. if you want to do, you know, oppression where everything mm -hmm. is brown or gray and everything is the same height and all of the streets are perpendicular to each other. So I think going with a theme will get you there better mm -hmm. than picking any particular place because the elements that make that thing that place probably wouldn't exist in your scenario. I mean, that that's also true, but... This, I mean, that technique, not your technique, the one that we're referring to, is just a easier way, I guess, for a writer to get oh, yeah, that connection that they want to the reader. So it's like it's like in wrestling, it's like a cheap pop. So you'd be like, oh, well, we're from Chicago. And then everybody's like, well, I'm from Chicago. I like this. So it's just, it's just an easier way to get things grounded. But yeah, like, there's nothing wrong with just building Middle Earth and <laughs> All right. So I wanted to ask you guys, how do you format your world building? So when you take all this information, how do you store it? Where do you put it? How do you make sure it's organized for people who are just starting to world build? How do you do it? Well, for people who don't want to pull out like the index cards and the clipboard and all that other stuff, you could get Scrivener because that's what I do. <laughs> you sound like you're making a plug for Scrivener. <laughs> I mean, if they want to hire me, that'd be perfectly fine. But no, yeah. no, but yeah, Scrivener is really, it's really cool. It took, it took a while for me to learn how to do stuff, but yeah, you can build like character sheets and settings and all this stuff. So like, I have a, um, a YA post-apocalyptic that I'm working on, and it is based in New York. So um, 
So I just <laughs> I shake the settings and I just, you know, like post apocalyptic it up. Like I have one burrow that's kind of like drowned in water and another one with toxic gas and stuff. But Scrivener allows me to separate each of my settings and I can put like, oh, well, this is going to be in scene two and things like that. So it's it's the equivalent of like people that do it on cork boards and stuff, but for people who don't have room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Scrivener is great. But before <laughs> I was able to buy Scrivener because there is a fee, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I just use Google Docs and I just separated everything by headings. So if I had religion, I'd write that heading and then make some bullet points and put everything under there. And in uh, Google Docs, it gives you the headings in, the, in an outline on the side. So you're able to quickly click through which section you need when you need to get to it. It's pretty, it's pretty slick. I use Word right or die, start to finish. <laughs> I just, um, I found that the more that I involve in the process, the more expansive the process becomes. If I have my story spread out over six different programs, I now have six screens open, uh, which happened. <laughs> so I've, I've whittled it all down to just sticking on Word. <laughs> yeah, that's too much complication for me. <laughs> All right, then. So I wanted to ask you guys another question. How do you make sure you don't get tied up in this world builder's disease? How do you avoid it? How do you get out of it? I personally, I never close a window. So if I want to find out what the team that pulls a chariot is called, which is a troika, by the way, uh, <laughs> I will open a separate tab. I'll research that. And when, I'm, when I get my answer, I close it immediately and I go back because it'll have a link and that'll have a link and then it'll be an hour later and I'll be looking at penguins and it'll, it'll be crazy. <laughs> so um, yeah. I, 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 never, I never research independently. I research while I'm writing to end the research and get back to the writing. Because if I just hopped on the computer one day to research, that'd be my whole day. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't do yeah. that either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that... That totally, totally makes sense it's because I have fallen down the YouTube rabbit hole Damn and it. started researching one thing. And then next thing I know, I'm watching true crime videos and <laughs> so things like that happen. So what I normally do is it's the same as you. I'll just I'll research while I'm writing. So like when I was writing my YA fantasy, I had to figure out how tarot cards were being used. And so I went to research that process and then I'll give that research about a good five, 10 minutes. And if like 10 minutes is gone and I still ain't figure it out, I just do little quotation things and like come back later. And yeah, I'm real big on the, I just put the dash and keep typing. Yeah. Lost the whole day trying to pick the right name for some guy who died anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. I, I kind of get a little bit obsessive, so I have to find the answer. <laughs> I can't move on because I'm going to keep thinking about it anyways. So oh, no. I'll spend the time that it takes, but I won't let myself go crazy like more than 30 minutes or to an hour to find it. Otherwise, oh, I just kind of oh. shut it down for the day. 
uh, <laughs> <laughs> or work on another project until it comes to me. I usually work on two at a time. But um, the the tools that I use to make sure that I'm not dipping my toe into world builder's disease are Chekhov's gun and the iceberg method. And Chekhov's gun is making sure that whatever you put in your story is going to fire later. So you can come up with all these cool, amazing facts that you want to put into your world. But if you're not going to show it or if it's not going to make an impact, don't let yourself get too excited and spend too much time on it when you should actually be writing. The iceberg method, it just tells you that everything you put into your world building and your outline, you're only going to see a little tip of it anyway. The rest of the stuff is submerged and it's going to help build your world, but your reader's never going to actually know it. It's just for you to make sure everything is rich and filled out. Yeah, like how, um, what do you call it? In Harry Potter, she knew that Dumbledore was gay, but that had nothing to do with the story. <laughs> I didn't know that. You just you just told me something new. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, four times to spell Chekhov's gun right. Chekhov's gun. I was writing down that method so I could research it later, but oh, uh, yeah. I can't spell good. Yeah, it, it's it's really amazing. It it's it's helped me a lot. So anybody listening, check it out. Because in the story, in Chekhov's story, there was a gun on the wall. He took some time describing it, and you're like, okay, whatever, it's a gun. But later, that gun was important. <laughs> so just make sure everything everything counts. Okay. <laughs> okay. While I agree with the sentiment, um, I'm, I'm going to push back a little on that. There are elements that I'm not, not at all significant to the plot but are significant to the story. For um, example, I have a villain who is tall and broad-shouldered and uh, beautiful, and he is the only one of his line who is these things, and he has a stutter. And that, mm. character, that character flaw has had such a, a ripple effect into his life that the stutter has made him a villain, despite everything else that he has. Do, do you write him with the stutter? I tried to, and it, it, and it looked annoying on paper. You know, so you just said he stutters. S dash, S dash. Uh, so I haven't, I haven't talked very little. <laughs> I got <laughs> Stephen King's It on audio, and you know the main character, the kid, he stutters. And that was... Yeah. So I, I have him... Um, uh, he's very stern. He, he makes gestures. He points to things he says as little as possible. But one thing, I created an entire backstory, you know, and if you follow it down a rabbit hole, it's like, for as attractive as he is, how awkward was he at parties? How hard was it for him to find a girlfriend? Uh, was he picked last at basketball? You know what I mean? Yeah. And in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's, it's one guy who, who doesn't speak well. So it's not a, you know what I mean? It's not a huge thing. But I, I find these little touches make the world feel lived in. Okay, I'm not disagreeing about that, but you're talking about character building, and I was, and I'm talking about the world in in general in the broad scheme of things. So, um, if you're gonna, I, I I understand what you're saying. What um, to make that more precise, I think if you have a thing in the story that doesn't necessarily move the plot, but it does somehow enrich the story, 
I think it's okay to have, uh, you know, two or three of those in there as opposed to everything being purposeful or utilitarian. Oh, yes, you definitely can't because Chekhov's gun doesn't matter if you know everything is going to fire. Uh, you uh, have yeah. to have some false starts in there as well. Some false things that start. are going to throw you off, some things that are going to make you think, ooh, is this something? But it's really not. It's the thing that was hiding in the corner that you didn't pay attention to. Beautiful. Okay. We got on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> How do you make sure that your world is unique? That's a big question. Mm-hmm. For me, I try to mash up as many conflicting aspects of real life as possible and make them into something new. Like, oh, say, wow. I would take some things from Egyptian culture and Scottish and try to blend them together and find a spark, something that's different. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, for me, I love retrofuturism. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the best example of that would be the Flintstones, where they had all of these modern devices, but they had these prehistoric rudimentary ways of achieving them. Mm-hmm. So he would catch bees in a in a, a clamshell and use that as a shaver, right? Or they drive the cars with their feet, or the crane is actually a brontosaurus. Because I'm writing this epic fantasy, I give them all of today's modern conveniences, but they don't use electricity or they don't burn fire. They, they have found other power sources. And that, I think that makes my world fairly unique. I set out to make it different, but it's normally just like aspects that I see within whatever genre I'm working in. I just try and stay clear of that or tweak it a little bit. Like Twilight has a love triangle. You got the werewolf and you got a vampire. And the YA fantasy that me and my wife are working on, it has three guys that show up at her school but we remove the whole triangle or square element and had her more fixated on her relationship with her family and her friends than what these creepy boys who came out of nowhere are doing so so i just i i try and just take strong women and make them relatable and throw them in situations where you want them to prevail and overcome. Which I guess, oh, I guess that is like every other book. Never mind. Someone else. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, that was actually good. <laughs> so you take something that's known and find ways to tweak it to make it fresh. That's good. That's that's yeah. really good advice. Yeah, that's that's just what I, I aim to do. Like uh, I'll sit down and when I write, I think of it like a movie, because if you can't tell, I watch a lot of movies. I think of it like a movie. So when I get to points where I'm just like, oh, well, this would happen, because that's why my wife hates watching movies with me, because I figured them out really quickly. Mm. So when I come to a natural conclusion in my story, I just try and go left instead of right. And I love that. Yeah, try and do something else. Uh, do we have any other closing comments before we end up the show? I have a question. Okay, yeah, definitely. When you build your world, do you decide its boundaries at the beginning or do you discover its boundaries as you go? So for this particular story I'm writing, they're on an island. 
So it's, it's limited by that. You know, you can only go so far left, right, north and south. But I'm thinking when you're writing an urban fantasy, you know, people can actually just hop on a plane and, you know, this story could go anywhere. So when you start the story, do you set borders or do you just discover the limits of the story's borders as you write? Mm, that goes back to my outlining. Yeah, I'll outline the story and that pretty much sets the parameters of where I want it to go. But basically, if I'm writing anything that's not fantasy, it, it has it has its limits. It can't go too far out of bounds. How do you how do you dictate those? Do you just decide that like this is going to take place in Chicago and nobody's going to Cleveland? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I'm the boss, so <laughs> I lay the law. If um, yes, if I want it, to, yeah, to be in Chicago, it's in Chicago, and then I just make sure that I I flesh out that world so it feels like it's enough for me not to want to take them to some other place, or I'll find fresh or exciting aspects of that city or place or country to bring out, to make it seem like they went somewhere else. Like they went to Cleveland. They're really just around the corner. Yeah. And that's, which is probably much better. I don't know if you've been to Cleveland. (laughs) (laughs) No, I haven't actually. Yeah. I think that just totally pertains to what your story is and what you're trying to get out of it. Like, I mean, you could base your story in real world where anyone could just hop on a train or a plane and get out of town. But if it's, if that's not important or painful to your story, it doesn't really matter. Like in Halloween, Lori could have just hopped on a plane and went to Japan and lived out her life. Michael would have never found her, but (laughs) that defeats the whole purpose. So it's just, it just pertains to how you want to tell your story. And that's the main issue I have with a lot of horror stories. It just, it could be over so, so quickly, but they make the wrong decisions all the time. Have you seen this commercial? I think it's a Geico commercial where there's like, let's go hide in the garage full of chainsaws. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. Let's get in the car. No, let's hide in the basement. Like, what? I mean, that was, that's just always the trope of horror movies teenagers make stupid decisions and Our grown folks too i can't take yeah. it yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean there there are nice like meta series that like feed on that like scream screams a nice one that pokes fun at the tropes and stuff but i mean you know someone gotta be stupid or nobody's gonna die all right so from from what you said initially I take that you said to wrap it up and to recap and get out of the the horror topic conversation. Yeah. (laughs) So recap what you said. When you build your world, do you set the parameters at the beginning or do you discover the parameters as you write? Right. And I said, yeah, I just, I just set the law and that's it. And Sylvester, you said you make it important to the story. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just how the story is. I guess it would be set at the beginning because if I come into the story, I'm like, this is going to be about Georgia. And somehow we end up in New Jersey. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I think that's, that's the end of our show for today. The audience, I have some, some homework for you guys. I want you to take a look at one of your pieces 
and then write one paragraph that captures the essence of your world. This would be a great exercise to help you learn what's at the heart of your world building. That's all we have for today. Thank you. This has been Voices of Color. See you in the next episode.